about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Okay, tonight's Bible reading comes from Luke 14 verses 15 to 24. So from Luke 14, verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited Come, for everything is now ready. But they, all alike, began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, Not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Have I got the the clip? Well, good evening, everyone. As you know, Andrew's enjoying life in Scotland at the moment, and I've seen some pictures of it, and he looks like he's having a great time. So we, let's keep him in our prayers, him and Lauren and the family, that they can continue to enjoy their holiday. In the meantime, I'm going to be sharing with you from this passage that we've just read of, from the parable of the great banquet. So let me pray, and then we'll get into God's word this evening. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you'll open up your word to us and show us more of the truth that we find within it. Amen. Now when you think of heaven, what image comes to your mind? Feasting is actually a common image in in the Bible for heaven. A banquet, it can often be portrayed as, and actually I love that image of heaven. I think of banqueting in heaven, wow, that's fantastic. Um, When Marcel and I were missionaries, Um, we used to come back from Indonesia about every three years and people would comment on how sickly thin we looked as soon as we got off off the plane, which was very disconcerting. I haven't seen people for about three years and the first thing they say is, look, how dreadful you look. Well, thank you very much. Now, I must admit that I don't consider myself to be particularly overweight, but since those days I've put on about 14 kilos so I don't know what I actually did. Maybe I did look pretty bad, <laughs> sickly thin. But anyway, um, we always came back the week before Christmas, so I said, don't worry, one week of Christmas celebration will be fine. Uh, but in heaven, the feasting will be way better than Christmas. Um, here's an 
in Isaiah 25, verse 6, is a prophecy about the great heavenly banquet that Jesus invites us to. It's an image of heaven, and it describes the feast to end all feasts. Have a look at this description of the heavenly banquet. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. Now just run with the image for a while because I know this may not sound great for the vegetarians amongst us. Uh, For me personally, I thought, yeah, uh, my complaint would be there are no desserts. But, you know, like, we just have to leave the details to the Lord. This food, the great thing is it never adds to the waistline. I think that's fantastic. Now sharing in the great heavenly banquet is our great hope that awaits us in heaven. And of course, we can taste this even now as people that are born again in Christ, uh, but, but we have so much to look forward to. So it, would be, it should be no surprise that when Jesus the Messiah came, he often depicted the kingdom that he came to bring in terms of a banquet. And of course, the parable we're looking at tonight is the parable of the great banquet. It is the story about a fictitious host, but really Jesus is talking about his banquet and his kingdom. Now in fact in this section of Luke's gospel there are several stories that depict heaven or the kingdom of Jesus as a banquet, but in each case Jesus' purpose is to make clear who will be in the banquet and who will be out. Who's in and who's out. I can remember when we got married how difficult it was to put together the guest list to our reception. And I'm sure that some of you have had a similar experience when you've been organising some sort of event. Whatever you do, you offend somebody. Uh, It could be that distant relative. Um, What about your friends you haven't seen for years? Will they be offended? Um, Then there's the person invited you to their wedding but you don't really want to invite them to yours Uh, there's all sorts of dilemmas you know it just would have been easier if we had eloped I think Um, I don't really mean that but Jesus guest list to his heavenly banquet those who are in and those who are out is about as scandalous as you can get first there are those who thought they would be in but who find themselves on the outside much to their great shock and horror And second, there are those who deserve nothing, many who didn't even know there was a banquet, who find themselves on the inside, on the guest list, to their great delight. So we're going to look just for a moment at the chapter before this one, chapter 13, and then the chapter after, chapter 15, where Jesus talks about his banquet in heaven, who's in and who's out. First is this passage here, Luke 13, 28 to 30. Jesus here is talking to Jewish people. These were the people who were waiting for the Messiah. Look what he says to them. He says to them, There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. They say to him, But we were the ones who drank with you. And you taught in our streets. I don't know you, Jesus says. You're out. 
So then who's in? Well, it goes on, the next verse. People will come from the east and the west and the north and the south, that is, people from the Gentile world, and they will take their place at the feast in the kingdom of God. Or we go to chapter 15, which is the very well-known parable of the prodigal son. So think about how the parable of the prodigal son ends. It actually ends with a feast. But it's the elder brother, the good son, you know, the reliable son, who is standing outside, refusing to enter the feast, while the younger, rebellious son, who went off and you know, spent his, all, all his inheritance on wild living, but then came back and repented, is the one who is partying on the inside. Now, the parable of the great banquet ends that way too. Jesus tells the parable of the great banquet whilst he's sitting in a dinner party in the home of the leader of a Pharisee. One of the guests calls out, you can see this at the beginning of the chapter, one of the guests called out, blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Well, of course, that's true. There's no greater blessing than to be at this great eternal feast. But no doubt that man assumed that he would be amongst those who would be there. And I have no doubt that all the Pharisees sitting around that dinner table with Jesus all thought that their place in the great Messiah's banquet was, was assured. And you see, this parable is in part a parable of judgment against the religious leaders for their failure to turn to Christ. So now let's have a look at the parable itself. Now in Middle Eastern culture, there were two invitations to a banquet. The first invitation was sent out and people gave their RSVP. Uh, then the host knew how many people were coming and could decide what animals needed to be prepared for the banquet. The meat was then cooked, the table was then set, and then the servant went round a second time with the second invitation. This second invitation was like, a, like the dinner bell. Yeah. And I want you to notice that it is with the second invitation that Jesus begins this story. And we know that from verse 17. Because in, according to verse 17, this is to those who have already been invited. Come, for everything is ready now. And because the guests have already accepted the first invitation, they're really duty-bound to appear when the second invitation call comes. But all this host hears was a host of lies. We read three excuses here. I'll come back to that one in a minute. We, ex we see three excuses here. They, these excuses are just examples. And you see that in verse 18, because verse 18 says, actually, everyone alike made similar excuses. So these are three excuses which are just examples of the excuses everyone made. They all chose to boycott this banquet. We're meant to see that the three examples are absurd, that they're actually laughable. And that would even be more obvious in a close-knit village where everyone was related to everyone and knew everyone else's business. Uh, the first man says, I've just bought a field, I must go and and see it. Please excuse me. Now, you can be sure someone would buy it. 
no one would buy a field without having first seen it. It's meant to be absurd. The second man says, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, I'm on my way to try them out. You know, for a farmer, his oxen were his lifeblood. And surely he would have checked them out before he bought them. And then the third man says, I just got married, I cannot come. So don't imagine that the invitation has come to the couple while they're on their honeymoon on the shores of Lake Galilee or something. No, it's not like that at all. There's no way the host would have planned his banquet around the same time as a wedding. Now, the couple would have been at home in the village and their marriage is just an excuse. The excuses are meant to seem absurd. The point of all these last-minute refusals is that the people of the village want to insult the host. These people want to kill the party. They want the whole event to fail. No one at all will turn up and the host will look like a fool. Now, what are the Pharisees at the dinner party thinking at this point in the parable? Maybe they're getting edgy, do you think? Where is Jesus heading with this story? Surely he's not referring to us, is he? And yes, of course he is, because you see, the Pharisees were exactly the ones who should have welcomed Jesus and accepted his invitation as the Messiah. These Jews are the ones who had the invitation in front of them for centuries, all there in the Old Testament, telling them exactly what the Messiah was like and what he would do. And the Pharisees were experts in all things to do with the Messiah. And they said, we're in. We're going to be part of this. We're looking forward to this. In fact, we'll be sitting at the front table. But when the hour comes... And Jesus announces, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Come, everything is ready now. They want to kill the party. Or worse, kill the Messiah himself. Look back through Mark and see how the Pharisees treated Jesus. When Jesus eats with sinners and tax collectors, they accuse Jesus of being a glutton and a drunkard. When Jesus healed people, which was a sign that he was the Messiah, they're furious because Jesus hadn't kept the Sabbath, according to their strict tradition. When Jesus drives out demons, they accuse Jesus of having a demon. They've got countless feeble reasons why they will not believe in Jesus, and they plot to kill him. How does the host in the parable react when he hears these excuses? You go to verse 21. The owner of the house became angry. See, this is a parable of judgment. Think of the audience seated around Jesus in the Pharisee's house. He's looking at them face to face. And, now, and see now the pointed words of Jesus at the very end of the parable, verse 24. Looking at them, he says, I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. See, the Pharisees are not pushed to the back table, you know, where the relatives you don't really like have to sit. No, they're not there at all. They love their religion. 
but they did not love Jesus. How many people are like that in our churches who have never personally said to Jesus, Jesus, I follow you? Who may come to church, who may serve at church, who are certainly religious, but who have never said to Jesus, I follow you. Might that be you? It's a warning for us. Trust in Jesus, lest when he returns, you find yourself on the outside of the great heavenly feast. This is a parable about judgment, particularly against those who trust in religion, but not in Christ. But the parable of the great banquet is not all about judgment. It's also about the grace of God. My banquet will be filled. And we begin to see this from verse 21. We now begin to see who's in. Two more invitations are sent out. This servant is a very busy boy. The first is in verse 21, and then the second is again in verse 23. And notice that these two invitations are to two very different groups of people. So let's look at the first invitation in verse 21. Who is this invitation to? Well, we read there in that verse, as you can see on the screen, the servant is sent out to invite the poor, the cripple, the blind, and the lame in the streets and the alleys of the town. Now, they are people living in the village, but they are outcasts. They are the disabled, the marginalised, the forgotten people, people who have nothing who wouldn't be able to repay the host in return, but worse, more so, they are actually people who would have been ritually unclean and who would never have been permitted into the life of the synagogue. They are now the only ones coming into the banquet. The fact that the host would invite these people would have been shocking. And I think that Jesus here is talking about his own ministry at that time. See, even though the religious leaders and their followers have rejected Jesus, there are others on the edge of society. People of no worth, people of no value, who are coming to Jesus and being received and welcomed by Jesus into his kingdom. Like the prostitute in Luke 7, who bathed Jesus' feet with her tears. Like the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years in Luke chapter 8. The blind beggar near Jericho in Luke 18. The criminal crucified next to Jesus in Luke 23. The grace of Jesus over and over and over again. Why are they invited in? Because despite their sin, no matter how great that sin is, they are forgiven and welcomed in. They've turned to Christ and their sins are forgiven. It is grace. See, the kingdom of God is not reserved for decent people or good people. No, we are all sinners. None of us deserve a place in his kingdom. We are only there because of God's grace. These religious people can't see it and and they delude themselves into thinking that they will be okay. God's indebted to me in some way. No, that's not true. We are all sinners, and the kingdom of God 
is for people who fall at Jesus' feet in repentance and find forgiveness. But the banquet is still not full. The poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame have come. But we see in verse 22 here that the servant comes back again and says to the host, Sir, what you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. So the servant is sent out again. Verse 23, go out to the roads and to the country lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be full. This time, the servant's sent out of the town. And if the work of the servant he'd just finished doing, that was inviting the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame, described Jesus' ministry in the gospel, the work that the servant must now do parallels the ongoing mission of Jesus through his church. Just like the servant, we are sent out into the world with an unbelievable and free invitation to the banquet. This is, this is an invitation about mission. The great feast in heaven will be filled with guests from all peoples across the world. Now, I want you to notice these three things about these last invitations. First is the urgency. Did you notice in verse 21, the host tells the servant, go out quickly. Why this sense of urgency? Well, the meal's already set, isn't it? Time is limited. The host will not wait forever. The servant needs to be focused on the task, getting the invitation out as far and wide as quickly as he can. You see, friends, the day has already been set when Christ will return and the opportunity for people to turn to Christ will end. That day when the door will close, there is an urgency in mission. If you look back through the centuries of the history of Christian mission, a sense of urgency has been a rare commodity. Occasional flashes of, of urgency, yes, but the broad canvas of history shows a church barely conscious of any role in mission at all. When a people group heard the gospel for the very first time, they asked, well, when did these things about Jesus happen? And the answer they got was, oh, they happened about 2,000 years ago. And in amazement, they said, it took you 2,000 years to come and tell us? The record of the church has not been good in reaching the nations. This, there is a huge unfinished task. There are still two billion people in the world who almost certainly will not hear about Jesus because there is no one to tell them, to give them this invitation. And even if you think about our geographical region, Southeast Asia, there are 600 million people in Southeast Asia who not only don't know Jesus, but almost certainly won't hear about Jesus unless people go and tell them, people like the Azalis in Thailand or Rebecca. Mission is urgent. And at the very time we as a church should be pressing on to reach these parts of the world that have never heard the gospel and to strengthen Christians in places where the church is very small, churches in Australia often becoming inward-looking with little real passion for global mission. How much is global mission 
core business in our church here. Not shuffled off to a bi-monthly prayer meeting. How does our church giving reflect this urgency? How much is global mission talked about and prayed for in our church services, in our youth group, in our kids' church, in our connect groups? It is very easy for us to become self-focused, to become inward-looking and forget God's heart for this world, this invitation. Now remember, the, the servant here is not told to worry about the decor of the banquet hall and polish the silver or something. No, he's told, go out quickly. Notice also, the second thing there, that the servant is not merely told to offer the invitation to people. There's a really strong word there in verse 23. You would, may have noticed that. He says, compel them to come. When we were living in Indonesia, we, uh, we received countless invitations to weddings that came on these most beautiful cards. They were lovely. But people were just being polite to the missionary and no one expected us to go. Actually, there was no RSVP. And in fact, when we opened the invitation, very often we had actually no idea who was getting married. But there you go. If we'd gone to all of them, we would have spent our whole time going to weddings. But if someone had come up to us personally and said, we really want you to be there, please mark it in your diary, it won't be the same unless you come, that would have been different. Hey, they're not just being polite. This is a serious invitation. It really is for me. Well, I would have felt compelled to go. Here in this parable in verse 23, invitations are going out to people who've never heard of the host and didn't know that there even was a banquet. You can imagine the response the servant might get. Maybe some of them threw the invitation back in the servant's face. No, I'm, I'm not interested. But others may have said, for me? I don't even know this man, you know. I can't possibly accept this. I've no right to be at the banquet. Well, that's right. They've got no right to be at the banquet. But remember, you and I have no right to be at the banquet. This is grace. And Jesus says compel them. He doesn't mean force people against their will, but convince them and persuade them that this is for real. Mission is about persuading people of the truth of the gospel. Of grace. The price has been paid by Jesus on the cross. Sins forgiven. Grace. Come. It's ready. And enjoy. Sounds good, too good to be true. Well, yes. But it is true. Finally, notice how the parable ends. The parable does not end with a full house. Instead, the parable intentionally ends with the servant still there on the road with the invitation to the banquet. The servant's task here is our great unfinished task. As Christ's church, we need to see ourselves on the road inviting people in, not eating hors d'oeuvres in the, in, the, in the banquet, but committed to sharing this great invitation with the world until Christ returns. Now, the gospel of grace is unbelievable. That's what this parable tells us. Jesus is inviting people to come to his kingdom 
who have no right to be there, to join in his eternal banquet. But he offers to them his free invitation to the banquet of banquets. It is for the world, for every person from every nation, language and tribe. Let's be confident that what we have to share is the best news a person could ever hear, the gospel. It is unbelievable. But we should know this because we're one of them. We have no right to be in the banquet. But when we received the invitation, when we heard the gospel, we believed. We received grace. And now that same grace drives us out in mission to share this invitation with the world. Father, we want to thank you for this parable, parable of judgment that offers a warning to us to commit to Jesus and trust in him, but also a parable about grace. We thank you, Father, that even though we are unworthy, we are forgiven, and you accept us into your kingdom because of Christ's death for us on the cross. And, Father, that grace drives us out in mission. Father, we pray that we will take this invitation to the people in Newtown and Erskineville, but also to the ends of the earth, to peoples who have almost no chance of ever hearing the gospel. Give us that passion and that heart to see your gospel go out to the whole world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.